Klaus just sang for us uh, reminds me of something I read a couple of weeks ago that has just resonated in my mind, and I can't seem to get it out of my mind. I'll, I'll share it with you because it has to do with that song. It, it's a, it simply says this, this is God's universe, and he does things his way. You may think you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. That's good stuff, isn't it? On this spiritual journey that we're all on, we learn that God is smarter than we are. That he loves us, that he wants what's best for us, and that when we follow his ways, we might experience, we may experience his best for us. Man, that's a hard lesson for us to learn, it seems like. We always think we have a better way. I want to thank our young people. I see a lot of our young people in our service this morning. I want to thank them for being in here. I want to thank them for serving us the way that they have. I want to say to them and to all of our singles who are in the auditorium this morning that while we're going to talk about God's perspective, a biblical perspective on marriage, that this is for you too. If you aspire to marriage, this is something that you ought to aspire to. God's view of marriage, the biblical perspective on marriage. Use a couple of passages of Scripture this morning. First in Genesis, the second chapter, beginning in the 18th verse. I want to read that passage to you. And uh, then we want to pray. And then we want to take a look at two primary uh, points. Marriage is God's doing, and marriage is for God's glory. We'll look at those together. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in the 18th verse, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and had brought them to to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But before Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Pray with me. God, I'm, I'm afraid that for so many of us, this is foreign. We don't, we don't think about marriage the way you think about marriage. But we acknowledge this morning that you're smarter than us. 
We acknowledge that you love us. We acknowledge that you want what is best for us. And so, Lord, it, it's good for us that we understand what you want marriage to be and to be about. How it came into being, its purpose in our lives. And so, we desperately need you to teach us this morning. May we hear your voice. Lord, in those areas where change needs to take place so that we might be in the center of your will, I pray that you would, you would change us. Lord, that we would say, I want to do it God's way. And then, Lord, through that, through our lives, through our relationships, through our families, through our marriage, you receive glory. That's our goal. Only you can accomplish that. We submit ourselves wholly and totally to you, and we pray in your name. Amen. So ask, answer this question. Answer this question, not, not out loud. What is the purpose of marriage? What do you think the world would say is the purpose of marriage? Is marriage about me? Is it to meet my needs? Is it to fulfill me? Is it to make me happy? Should I get married for me? Should I sense a need in my life and find someone who can meet those needs and marry that person? Is there something deeper than that? Is there something spiritual about marriage? Have you, have you ever thought about marriage being a spiritual thing, a spiritual relationship, a spiritual union? As we grow in our understanding of God's perspective on marriage, it can take our marriage to a place it's never been before. It can take our marriage deeper when we understand why he created it in the first place, what its purpose is. Y'all would agree with me, wouldn't you, that our culture seems to have this kind of a low, casual, take-it-or-leave-it kind of attitude toward marriage? Yeah, if it works out good, if it doesn't, you know. We, we, we kind of fit marriage into one of our stages of life. We, uh, we, we graduate from high school. We, we, we go off to, to you know, technical school or university or college. We, we earn some kind of degree. We get a job. We get married. We have children. That's just the natural flow of things. I want to fit into the natural flow of things. That's what my life's going to be like. And when we kind of embrace that kind of attitude, when we kind of succumb to the culture's way of the stages of life, we end up marrying the person we're dating after we find a job and get out of school. Whoever we happen to be dating, it's time to get married, and so we marry them. But marriage is so much more to God than that. We must understand a biblical view of marriage, and we also should understand that a biblical view of marriage is absolutely ridiculous to the world. 
and to many in our culture. We start first with the foundation of marriage. Most foundationally, marriage is the doing of God. Marriage is God's doing. It was His design. God said, verse 18 of chapter 2 of Genesis, I will make for him an appropriate mate, a suitable helper. I will do that. This will be my doing. I'll make for the man a wife. And then we see that after having made for man a wife, that God is the first person to give a bride away. It says in the 22nd verse that he, he, ta- he makes the wife, he makes the woman, he makes the wife, and he takes her to Adam. He takes her to her husband. It's all God's doing. God joins two people together. That's spiritual. Sometimes in the marriage ceremony, I'll shock a man and a woman when during the ceremony I'll I'll just say to them, you know what, I I can't marry you. I, I, I can't marry you. The Bible says that marrying is two being made into one, and I can't do that. Only God can marry. Only God can unite. It's God's doing. He he designs it. He gives the bride away. And then he, He speaks to us. He gives us His design. He tells us what His design is. He speaks the design of marriage into existence in verses 24 and 25. A man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They will become one flesh. The man and the wife are naked and not ashamed. I see some principles in his design that we should embrace in our own marriages, in our own lives, and in our own aspirations for marriage. He says a man shall leave his father and mother there's this, there's this principle of, of severance. There's this idea that when this man and woman are joined together, it's a brand new family. It's a brand new entity, if you will. All of a sudden, because there's a new entity, there's this, the, the, there's this relational obligations that change. We're always to honor our father and mother. That never, ever changes. But when we get married and this new family is formed and this new uh, unit is created, then all of a sudden our relational obligations change and our priorities become our spouse. And so the in-laws and mom and dad, they, 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 they shouldn't be dictating what we do in our marriage, where you should go for Thanksgiving, where you should spend Christmas, and all of those kinds of things. There's, there's, this, there's this principle of severance. 
And look, I think this is really important for this reason. When Adam and Eve got married, they didn't have a mom and dad. But in, in, in God speaking, his design for marriage thought it was important enough that he include for us that a father shall leave his, that a husband shall leave his father and mother and be bonded to his wife. There's this principle of severance. There's a principle of permanence here. Some other versions of the Bible use words like hold tightly or cleave to his wife or be permanently bonded to his wife. It's this idea that once you're together, you can't be pulled apart. It's this idea of, of, of crazy glue that once you apply it, that's it. There are no other options. Those two things are together. It's a mindset that God wants us to have for our marriages. It's a mindset that, that, that divorce is not an option. That no matter what, we're going to be together. That no matter what, we're going to walk through this together. Maybe the thing that, that impacts this, this idea so much is the kind of love that we have for one another when we get married. The Greek language is an interesting language, and most of y'all are familiar with this and aware of this, that, that it uses different words for love. We have one word, love, love. But the Greek language has different words for love, and, and some of those uh, expressions of those different definitions are, is what people base their marriage on, the kind of love that they base their marriage on. For example, there's a word in the Greek language called eros. Eros love. It's a, it's a word that means I, I love you because of what you do for me. This is... This is the kind of, of love that a, a needy person, that's all the kind of love they need in order to marry, is an eros love. It's a love that says, I love what you do for me. I love that you bring me things. I love that you treat me nice. I love that you protect me. I, 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 I love what you give me. I, 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 I love you for what you do for me. And they get married based on that kind of love. And what happens to their marriage? When that person stops doing the things that they need, the love goes away. And the marriage ends. An Eros kind of love is not the kind of love that you want to get married on. There's another kind of love. It's called the phileo or philea love. And it's a love that says this, I, I, I love you because of who you are. I love you because of what you are. I look at you and I, 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 I see something that I really, really love, and I love you that way. And, and, and look, that's not a bad thing in a dating relationship, but it's, it's not a kind of love you want to get married on. I, I love you because you're good looking. I love you because you have a great work ethic. I love you because you love God. 
I love you because you're, you're diligent and, and you handle your money well. And I love you for those reasons. And, and look, if you're single, you, you, you aspire to marriage one day, look, I, I, I recommend, make a list. This is what I want. I want somebody who loves God. I want somebody who works hard. I want somebody who's close to their family, whatever, whatever that list is. But you can't get married on that kind of love. Why? Because people change. They ain't always going to be good looking. <laughs> right? And they may not always be a hard worker. They may not always love God. And so this, this kind of love is not the kind of love that you want to get married with. And then there's a, a word in the Greek language. You're familiar with this word. It's the word agape. It's also a word for love. Except what agape means is it's the kind of love that says, you know what? I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm just going to love you. It's a word that doesn't describe feelings. It describes actions. It describes commitment. It's an agape love. You shouldn't marry anybody. You shouldn't marry somebody if you can't say to them, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you no matter how you treat me. I'm going to love you no matter how you act. I'm going to love you no matter how you change. I'm in this for the long haul. Till death do us part, for as long as we both shall live, I love you no matter what. It's agape love. That's the word that is used when Jesus describes his love for us. And I am so very, very glad that Jesus loves me like that. I'm glad that his love for me is not based on my behavior or my faithfulness or how I change, how I act. He told me that he would love me no matter what. It's this principle of permanence. It's this principle of love that's everlasting. And then it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and be permanently bonded or hold tightly to or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There shall be unity in the marriage. This is far more than just the physical aspect of the marriage union. They too shall become one in body and emotionally, and the two shall become one spiritually. I've heard couples who've been married for a long time, and she'll say something like, I know what he's going to say before he even says it. I know what he's thinking. That's, that's becoming one. Uh, emotionally, I love the idea of two people who love one another in this, in this, in this, uh, uh, in marriage, having a, a heart and a desire to not only become one 
physically and not only become one emotionally, but to become one spiritually, to grow together in their love for the Lord, in their, in their knowledge of the Lord, in their experience of the Lord, in their service of the Lord, in their worship of the Lord. I believe that, that when you have two individuals and, and they're both growing together in their understanding of God's love and involvement in their life, they're experiencing that together, there's, there's this natural outflow of them falling deeper and deeper and deeper in love with one another. That the closer they both get to God, the closer they're getting to one another. There's this unity that's involved. They don't lose their distinctiveness. They don't lose their individuality. They're just growing together. They become one. Only God can bring two people together like that. And then this last verse is very, very interesting. The 25th verse, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now, now I, I don't think, know that I need to say this, but that's not talking about physically there. It's talking about transparency. It's talking about a covenant love. It's not talking about having a perfect body and so no need to be ashamed. It's talking about this union that has come together, this covenant relationship, this covenant love, this understanding that this is a relationship of permanence, that this is a relationship of unity. And so I can be myself. I can be transparent. Why? Because she's in this for the long haul. Till death do us part, for as long as we both shall live. She's not going anywhere. Divorce is certainly not an option. She's going to love me no matter what. That gives me a freedom, does it not? I can, I can be myself. I can, I can say what I want to say. I can, I can be transparent. We get into an argument. She's got this opinion. I've got this opinion. We go at it pretty good. We can be honest. We can be tra transparent with, with one another. Because there's a dilemma here. There's only, there's only two options when you're in this kind of covenant love relationship. There's only, there's only two options. Number one, either fix the problem in the argument or be miserable. Because there's no other options. Nobody's going anywhere. We're going to continue to love one another. So we find a way to fix this thing or we be miserable with one another. Agape love. Now, that's real important if we're going to understand God's design for marriage. Because the connecting part of that, the connecting part of this verse that we see in Genesis, a man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They will become one flesh. They were both naked and were not ashamed. The, that, the connection to that is over in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24. Now look, foundationally, marriage is God's doing. But ultimately... Marriage is for God's glory. It says, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. And he says, 
in verse 31. He repeats what's written in Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In verse 32, it says, the mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I'm saying that there's a connection there. I'm saying that that there's a reason that God has designed marriage the way he has designed it. That marriage, in God's perspective, in a biblical view, it, it, it refers to Jesus, and it refers to Jesus' relationship with the church. It refers to the union that takes place between Jesus and the church. Jesus thinks of himself as a bridegroom, and he's coming for his bride. His bride is all of those who have who have placed faith in Him, who have confessed Him as Lord in their life, who have trusted Him for eternal life. He knew that He would pay for them with His blood. And He calls this relationship a covenant relationship. I spill my blood for you. This blood is my covenant. It's a new covenant. It's important that we get that in Jesus' mind, marriage is not about romance as much as it's about promises. It's not about getting my needs met as much as it's about a covenant that I make with another person. And it's likened to the covenant that he makes with me. It's likened to the way that he loves me. It's important for us to understand that he forms this new covenant with his bride, and it's an unbreakable covenant. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He's describing marriage. He's talking about marriage to them. And he says the mystery of all of this is what it's referring to, what marriage is referring to is Christ and the church. So the highest meaning... The most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Jesus and the church on display. It's so that people can see in your marriage, in your life, the covenant relationship of Jesus and his church. To put it on display, to bring God glory through your marriage. That is why marriage exists. Listen, that's why marriage exists. Is there romance? Yeah, and it's awesome. Companionship, yeah, and it's awesome. Partnership, yeah, and it's awesome. Intimacy, yes, and it's awesome. But ultimately, it is to be a picture of the covenant relationship of Jesus and his church. Grow as we grow in this understanding. We begin to separate ourselves from this cultural belief that marriage is about you making me happy. And when you stop making me happy and you stop meeting my needs then I'll go find somebody who will. That is the exact opposite of the covenant relationship that Jesus has with this church. And so in my marriage, as I, I, I kind of I, I want to grow in this understanding. I want to experience this understanding. This is God's best for me. For me to think of my marriage as a picture of the relationship Christ has with the church, that my marriage is to bring attention to that, is to bring glory to God through that, I begin to grow in my relationship with him and in my relationship with her. There's something about that. 
Here's what I'm saying. Marriage is not really about staying in love. It's about keeping a covenant. It's about living out a promise. And it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes it can be extremely difficult. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, gives us some some tools that he calls us to use. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, he begins his, his teaching on the marriage relationship. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another, addressing each other, husbands and wives, addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says to us, be very careful and be very intentional. Keep loving with an agape love. Know God's will for your marriage. Understand His design. Live it out in your life. Allow your marriage to bring glory to God. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. This is essential to a marriage from God's perspective. What controls you? Don't get drunk on that. That's what the Bible's saying. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. Your spouse will thank you for that. I think it's saying here we ought to worship together. We ought to pray together. We ought to study God's Word together. This is a spiritual relationship. Worship together, pray together, study God's Word together. It's been 20 years ago, probably, but Focus on the Family did a study of couples, and they determined which couples worshipped together, prayed together, studied God's Word together. As a matter of fact, they didn't even use the word study God's Word, they used the word read God's Word together. And I don't remember exactly what the numbers are, I have it written down in my office, but of couples that would be willing to do that together, it's a spiritual relationship, grow in their relationship with the Lord together through worship, through prayer, through reading His Word, the divorce rate for those couples was 1 out of 1,176. 1 out of 1,176, that's less than 1%. You think about that in a very practical way. I I believe that's probably true. Maybe it's not the same statistics for today that it was 20 years ago. But I like those odds. You know, it's hard to be at odds with somebody when you're praying together. And I want to say praying together has this, there's this intimate thing about praying together. 
so much so that I have counseled teenagers who are dating not to pray together too much. Because there's this bond, there's this drawing to one another, there's this, this spiritual connection that is, that is deep, and it's, it's intimate, praying together, worshiping together, reading God's Word together. It's His instruction for us to build this kind of relationship that's built on a covenant. It says submit to one another, serve one another. He says in this passage of Scripture, husbands, love your wife. Did you know that the Bible never says wives love your husbands? <laughs> it doesn't say that. Let me tell you why. It says husbands love your wives. You know why? Because that's, that's the way a woman is wired. That's what a woman needs more than anything else in the world. She needs to know she's loved. The passage of Scripture at the end of chapter 5 in Ephesians, it says, wives, respect your husbands. Why? Because that's the way we're wired. That's what we need. I, I, I want you to say, I love you, but you know what I need more than anything else? I need you to say, I'm proud of you. I need to know that you're proud of me. Husbands, love your wives. See, husbands... God intentionally tells them this because he knows how we think. We're, we're, we're kind of, um, we kind of get something in mind, something that, that, that we, we, we want to accomplish. We, we, we tend to be task-oriented. We even treat marriage that way. We find somebody, we fall in love, this is who I want to marry, and we're all about that. We'll do anything, you know, we'll sacrifice, we'll... We'll, you know, we'll, we'll go and pick them up. We'll, we'll, we'll care for them when they're sick. We'll, anything, anything, anything. And, and we finally talk them into marrying us, and we marry them, and then all of a sudden that task is complete, and we're on to another task. And the woman's going, I thought he loved me. Well, we're, we're, we're on to something else. And so this is, this is, I think, one of the reasons Paul says, look, you've got to be intentional. You've got you to think about this. Husbands, keep on loving your wives. Keep on dating your wives. Wives, be your husband's biggest cheerleader. Don't let anybody encourage them more than you do. That's the way they're wired. They need that. The purpose, from a biblical perspective, God's perspective, the purpose on marriage is to display the covenant relationship of Jesus and the church. Here's the mystery, he says. Marriage is referring to Jesus and the church. My heart and my desire for you is to have a fulfilling marriage, a great marriage. I, I, I love it when, when, when a husband says to me, I can't wait to get home. I'm looking forward to getting home. I, um, I, could, I could give you, I've done this before, I could give you uh, 10 steps to a happy marriage. And, and, and you'll try to, you know, you, you write those down, and you go, that's good, that's good, and I heard that, and I was like, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, but you can't do that. 
you got to understand God's perspective. you got to understand that foundationally, he's the one who brought you together. He's the one that makes two one. It's been his idea from the beginning. He designed it. And that ultimately, it's to bring him glory. And when we kind of are grounded in that, when that's kind of the, 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 the foundation for us, this is why I married, it changes everything. And we have to grow in that. Let me invite you to stand. I want to pray for your marriage. Pray, 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 pray with me, would you? God, I, I, I'm really glad that you created marriage. I'm glad you designed marriage. And it has been my experience to be an incredibly fulfilling experience. The deepest love outside of the love we have for you. It's the deepest. When you have that person, Lord, that you just give yourself to and you trust and you're transparent and you count on them and it's just, it's an incredible, incredible experience. But you've made clear, Lord, it's not about me. That marriage isn't about me. That that, that for me, marriage is about her. And that as we submit to one another, as we serve one another, as we, as we worship together, as we grow in our love for one another, it becomes a beautiful picture of the relationship Jesus has with her, with his bride, the church. And it brings glory and honor to you And Lord, what should drive me to have a great marriage is your glory, not my happiness. Is your glory, not my needs being fulfilled. So Lord, I I, I pray. I pray for single adults in this room. I pray for young people in this room who look forward to that day when they will marry. I pray what drives that, Lord, to bring you glory. I pray that they might search for someone to marry that will understand this covenant relationship, that we will understand its its permanence, its unity, its transparency. I pray for husbands and wives in this room, Lord, If studies are true, if statistics tell us anything, at least half of them are really, really struggling right now, at least, at least. Instead of making a list of things to try to do better, I pray, Lord, that they might just come together and maybe pray and maybe say we want our marriage to bring God glory. Soften hearts. May they see you. May they hear your voice. May they know your ways. May they experience peace, love, and joy. May you bring that about. 
and their marriages. Lord, I believe that our church is only going to be as strong as the families that are in our church. This is important to you. It's sacred to you. It's holy to you. I guess my prayer is simple. May it be important and sacred and holy to us. Enough to pursue your divine plan for marriage. So heal marriages, Lord. Sustain marriages, Lord. Grow marriages, Lord. Bless marriages, Lord. We trust you for that. We believe you for that. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Arthur, lead us if you would.